1: stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started
2: hi EllisPod fans it's jr here fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com Hello and welcome to the Love Strangers,
0: a Swindon Town fan podcast proudly sponsored by the STFC Official Supporters Club.
2: Rogers is streaking ahead and he's onside! Beautiful
3: play. That is that! What a good shot! Oh, it's
1: good. It's goal! a well, post goal! For- Hubble. Taylor has scored, and that surely means it's the Premier League for Swindon Town now. But first, a goal by Jörg Diorton. Huh? Austin going in! Yes! New bat, new bat, 2-0 Swindon. Danny Ward! It's not going. I will win this league anyway. Ritchie, he's hit it, it's Cadwell. <laughs>
3: Nicky. How are you? Thank you very much, by the way, for, in, for inviting me on your show. The good old days of Swindon it, I, it is very fond in my memory. Some wonderful, wonderful times. And when you, when you text me, I thought, fantastic, I'd love to do it. And it's great to see the old lads telling their stories, but mine might be a little bit more ruder. <laughs> mine might be a little bit more off. I think I was the only single one there. So yeah, let's go. With it. Thank you very much for inviting me.
0: Oh, you're a charmer, Nicky. I tell you that. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. And as I said to you off mic, you know, I've I've talked to my fair share of former and present Swindon Town players. And I'm a little bit nervous for this one because you are on the all time Rich Pullen eleven. So the fact that you're willing to do this is fantastic. So I start right at the beginning, but yours is quite unique compared to who I've spoke to previously, because you are third-generation football, aren't you? So, of course, your dad, Mike, was a Swindon Town, or is a Swindon Town legend, went on Man-, Man City, and then your grandfather before also played football. So I guess my question is, because, of course, your affiliations are with the family, of course, but what was it like being born and growing up at a time in a region where your dad is is Mike Bloody Summerby, especially as you were born during the peak of his Man City powers, weren't
3: you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people ask me about my career and what was it like having a famous father. I don't know any different. You know, for me, it's it was normal. You know, it, what, what made me want to be a footballer was going to games, Manchester Cities, anywhere around the country with dad and him getting idolised and, and, and crowds going crazy for him. And... That's what I wanted. I thought, yeah, you know, that's, uh, that's what I want, a bit of that. But going to Swindon, it was, it wasn't, was it rushed. I mean, it was getting to the point where, where I'd finished school and I'd, I needed apprenticeship. Uh, and I went trials everywhere, City, United, Leicester, and, and just Norwich. It wasn't, wasn't happening at all for me. These, these, these coaches were saying, well, you're not good enough, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then all of a sudden got a phone call from Cecil Green, who, who was like a father figure to dad. I said, "Look, there's a trial down at the county ground. It can Nick come uh, straight away?" And I remember what was unique about that day, about the the day of the trial. It was the hunger for disaster on the day because we went to London after, and all the all the uh, ambulances and everything were going down the other end. So we played in the game, and I think we won something like eleven nil or something against against uh, Cardiff. But at the time, I thought I was a centre forward, and that's when I got my apprenticeship and managed to get my foot in the door and, and get me two year apprenticeship.
2: Yeah.
0: Before Swindon, though, what what sort of footballer were you? Were you always in the same in position, or were you one of those up front to start with, or wherever you wanted to play?
3: No, I just thought like I used to watch Mark Hughes. I just used to think I was a little bit of Mark Hughes. I wasn't, but I used to look (laughs) look at. I used to look at where he held onto the ball, blah blah blah, and I was convinced I was a a centre forward. That's what I I thought I was going to be all the way through, but. I mean, I'll go forward and tell you how it changed, which is quite interesting, really, because Glenn Oddle came to Swindon, obviously, and he didn't know, because I saw him not long ago and he told me the story, and he, he didn't know where to blame me. So they were training one day, and he said, what are we going to do with Nick Somerville? He said, just stick him out on the right wing out there. Nick, get out there, just cross a few balls. And I crossed a few balls, and he thought, hang on a minute, we've got something here. And, you know, you look at certain situations in your football career, and that's how mine changed for the better.
0: Yeah. When you were growing up playing football and indeed we'll probably get to Swindon on this front in a moment as well, were you treated differently by coaches and players because of your name or was it pretty sound in that respect?
3: No it was just because I was my dad's son so straight away when you come on a football pitch they expect you to be good, they expect you to be probably a little bit better than that that's the only that's the only way in which I ever got anything I've got a Probably a little bit more respect, really, because of who dad was and, and who, the, who, who the lads who were played with fathers must have said. You know, when it was, uh, I mean, I, I had a lot of good friends around me. So it, it, it was never, you don't, when you're young, you don't feel anything at all. It's, you don't feel any sort of anything bad. It's not like that. you just, you're enjoying what you're doing. You're enjoying playing with your lads, with your, with your pals and all that. And you don't look at it in any other way at all until later on. When obviously I went to City, probably more when I went to City, which is a little bit more difficult there. Swindon, there wasn't the thought of it at all, but Dad used to play for them. It was the big signing when I went to City. That's when it made it possibly a little bit, it was a little bit more difficult because the comparisons were there, you see. Yeah. And, And when
0: you were growing up, considering how long and how many times your dad played for Swindon, Was Swindon ever in the conversation, or was it... Because the thing is, I'm quite angsty as a Swindon fan when it comes to history, because I see your career and a lot of people identifying Nicky Summerby with Manchester City and Sunderland, and I see your dad's career and everybody identifies predominantly with Manchester City and England. But Swindon, despite the amount of games you both played for the club, Swindon seems to be that sort of little club in the corner that they played for just before the fame, etc. Was Swindon very much... In your conscience, when when you were growing up within the household,
3: well, it is now. You know, you go to you go to my parents' house now, and there, there's photographs everywhere. You know, Dad speaks. It, it was a it was a uh, an old video brought out when they were on the buses with uh, well, I forget what it was called, and it showed all all the lads, John Troller, all the all the all the likes of that, Ernie Hunt. Uh, and it showed you what a, a life, a, a daily life or a weekly life is Swindon Town. It's fantastic. Now, my dad speaks very, very fondly about, about Swindon Town. He speaks more of when, when they used to work for the corporation at, at, uh, in the summer, him and Ernie Hunt, grave diggers uh, and, and, and all that. And it, same with me. It's, it's very fond for me. I, I would never have been a footballer without my education at Swindon Town. And lucky enough for, for me which paved way for me to get a move, was that we made it to the Premier League and I had a good season in the Premier League. But everything, every, all our family speak very highly of Swindon and, and that was where it all happened. And you know what, when it all starts off, when you play football and you go in and you become a man, you know, that's what you remember. Probably a little bit petrified at the start, but then that's where you meet your, your, your friends for life and that's where the grounding was done. It was, it, it was difficult for me. But uh, you, you know, you, I speak very highly of that, and Dad as well. Dad had some fantastic time, You know, that was him breaking into the team. That was him. Uh, I mean, luckily, the manager at the time he he was willing to put young players in. You know, that's where they got their opportunity. Without that, he, he probably wouldn't have got his opportunity. So that's where it all came from. Same with Dad. Same with me as well. With the same story. You know, without Swindon and them giving you that opportunity, we wouldn't have had the careers what we had.
0: Yeah. And that documentary, for those who haven't listened to it, is Six Days to Saturday. It's from about 1963. And it's quite remarkable footage, given the fact that, you know, it's in the town of a third division, second division side at that point, And you don't see quite as much in-depth footage that you see in that. And it's available all online. So, you know, Google it and have a look. OK, so I can see that you're very keen to uh, get to 1987 and coming down to Swindon. So the season's already started, I think, looking at, looking at you, the youth fixtures from that season. So you come on down for your trial at Swindon. Had you ever been down that way before?
3: I've been down to uh, Cheltenham, around Gloucester, Stroud and all that, where dad's brother and my uncle John lives. Uh, so we've been down there. Not to watch a game or anything like that. So it was the first time I went to the county ground, and the unique situation with this—it was the game was played on the county ground, which was uh, fantastic. Possibly one of the first times I'd actually played in a, in a stadium. And what, what, what do you remember? What else do you remember from that trial? No, all, all I remember is—I mean, the only way in which I look at that there is. I had to I had to get into football. This was my chance. This was when all the apprenticeships were getting done, so it was it, it was it was it was a desperate time. I had to get into football. I know there's players later on in life managed to get in and they come through different routes, but I had to get into that, uh, getting my apprenticeship, and it was. It was time was pushing, time was moving on. You mean they'd already got their apprenticeship, apprentices, now of a sudden I had to get in. So I was pretty much focused. I was pretty much determined. This was my dream, you know, I, I wanted to be a professional footballer. This can't go wrong at all. And from from, from going to other trials and things not happening was for me to, I couldn't look at anything. I couldn't look at the stadium. Couldn't, I was just determined. I had to get in. Somehow or other, I had to get in to, to, to be an apprentice, apprenticeship. And that's what it was there. Obviously, Dad came down. Cecil Green, who was a big part of all our lives, was obviously, he was a big part of getting us to the trial. So it was about, it went, It was about, it was about it had to go well for me.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a really interesting point, isn't it? Because nowadays, kids are, are in their youth system, really, very very early on and when you when you learn about young footballers who have parents that are in the game they're bedded in and it's usually around about 18 16 18 where they start to drift downwards but you're still trying to get yourself in was there was there a sense that you were coming close to the last roll of the dice were you just like now I'm gonna be in football no matter what happens
3: yeah, uh, yeah, that was it. I just, I, I just had it in my mind. You're going to be a footballer. Simple as that. I, was, I wasn't any good at school. I wasn't any good at anything else. This was what I was going to do. Now, the the, the journey from me getting there was what made me. You know, I had uh, had a bit had a bit of a turbulent time with John Trollope moving away from home. I got I got told uh, after the first year there was Eddie Buckley, there was John Trollope, and you went in. You you're in you after the after the first. Uh, year of YTS, they'd call you in, the lads who were the second years, your Fitzroys, your Vivashes, you your, your likes of that, you know, they would get the call, and they were going one by one, they would come back, whether they've got a contract or they haven't, it's as cutthroat as that, I've not got one, I've got one, it was like that, then they would bring us in about what they expected us, how they, how they thought we did after the first year, and what they expected us from the second year, and when I went in, they, they said, if I was you, I would go home and I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, bother playing football. I don't, think it's, I don't think it's for you. I don't think football's for you. Now, you've got to put into that being away from home, coming up against men, blah, blah, whatever it is there. But I, it, it, it shattered me, really. And I, I, said to, I said to my father, I said, look, football's not for me. And the way Dad went about it was, was brilliant. Uh, they left it. We'd have like five weeks off or whatever. They left it for about four weeks. And he said, and he, he'd, he'd been speaking with, with Lou McCarry who's a manager at the time. And he just said, you know, he's thinking, he's, he's thinking it's not for him and all this. So Lou McCarry said, well, why don't you bring him back? Give him a year. Just say, go for it. Have a, round, have a real go for one year. Just, what, you've got nothing to lose. What's the matter with you? And to get that little bit of a backing was good. But in the back of my mind was to prove John Trollope wrong, was to prove Eddie Buckley wrong. Now, without all that, I mean I ended up having a great season. I was playing centre forward, me and Oggy, Paul Hunt, scored, scored just it just hit it off. It was fantastic and it worked out for us. And to go into that room at the end of that season and to have Lou McCarty stood in the back, John Trollope, everybody stood round Eddie Buckley, and for them to say, Well, you tell you what, you proved us wrong. That was the that was the the key. And that I I thank them for that, if I'm really honest with you. Because it, that is what you need. That's what I needed in football, was to prove people, was to prove people wrong. I love that. I like that. I used to like when the crowd booed me. I'll show you. I love that type of thing, you know, and that was it. Some players don't like that. But for me, I would never have had my career without that. Because to, to prove John Trollock, to prove those guys wrong, was what I was all about. And that's what made me.
0: Yeah. You mentioned there who was in the youth squad at that point. So for those who didn't know, around this time, in the year above, you've got A.D. Vivash, you've got Vitroy uh, Simpson, people like Nigel Packer, who had very good non-league careers. And in your year, you had poor Gee Hunt. I think the year below was Paul Trollope. So, yeah. you know, plenty of people in and around. What, what, what are your memories of, of that, them two years? Because I, I talked to many footballers of all generations and they say these two years... These are the two years that, that I look back at fondly, maybe not the most, but the, the best times of your lives in football sort of thing. What are your memories of those two years?
3: Oh nervous at the start. I mean, we we, we moved into the digs at the behind behind Stratton Road. Is it was it Shriven Road? It was. It was called there. And I I was in a bunk bed with Fitzroy Simpson. So me and him there, he was at the bottom bunk, I was on the top. And it was just living with. Five or six lads on the every day, uh, and then obviously getting the friendship when you when you're in the when you're in the training ground. I mean, we had one, we we had lots of great stuff, but with Oggy and Ady Vyvash. and it's away from football with football. I mean, we had to we had to clean the baths. I think it was every week, and we used, we used to get given this acid. Right. Which is, you know, which, is, you know, it's not the health and safety. What are you thinking now? And he went like that. And John talked, said, look, don't we any messing about, gets in your eyes, this is acid and all this, you're in trouble. You know, for a fact, as soon as he goes around the corner, don't you? Start squirting these things and it's everywhere and you can't believe it. <laughs> And it's all this just messing about and being stupid. We had to sweep the stands. We used to ball boy for the, uh, for when the reserves. We're playing we used to do the divots on the pitch which is fantastic by the way because you get to stand in the middle of the pitch and feel what the atmosphere is like of a game of football and the away fans and and just having the crack all the way along it, it all the way through you know and it, it's still friends to this day I mean I don't, I don't speak to him so much but if I phone Oggy up it's as if I was with him yesterday you know Fitz mm. I still speak with Fitz a lot he's doing what he's doing now and it's that being in the dressing room it's having the crack it's people taking the piss out of each other people and that is what you love every day you go in you're arguing you're talking about whatever you're talking about and that was special for me and obviously living with uh, living with the lads there and having that daily that daily crack with them
0: yeah you mentioned john trollope and eddie buckley it's really interesting again because everybody that I talk to talk about like John Trollope being hard, you know, Swindon town legend won't have a bad word said about him. Of course he's royalty, but in terms of his coaching, it was very, very tough. And also Eddie Berkeley. Now nobody's got a bad word to say about Eddie Berkeley, And that, I think this is the first time I've heard Eddie Berkeley use some sort of level of, con, you know, criticism towards a footballer because usually his, the stories about Eddie are, are much more jovial what what made John Trollope so tough as 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 his coach? Oh, well,
3: he, he was he was old school. When I say old school, that that was the way it was at the time. You know, this is a serious profession what you're going into, and he let you know that. And it has to be the the, the requirements. It's basic stuff, but he drums it into you, and he makes sure that, that that you know about it. And you have to you have to have that. You know, I look at the players nowadays, and I, I think they get wrapped in cotton wool too much. I really do, and they have all the best of everything. Somewhere along the way, when you're playing professional football and things don't go right for you, you you, you need to you, you need to have a backbone, and that is where it's bedded into you at the start. And that's what John Trollope did. You know, I don't. I'm not saying a nasty thing with any of them. What I'm trying to say is, at the time, it was difficult for me, but that's what made me. You know, I look back at it now and I go, yes, yes, it was difficult, but that's what, that's what made me. So it's not, it's not a negative. that That's it. That's a positive with the pair of them. But when you're younger, you've got to realise everyone's different. You know, you mature differently. Some people want a pat on the back. Some people need a telling off. Some people, with all different ways in which you, which you deal with these players. Some some players get affected with certain things. For me, I, it didn't do that with me. You know, and it, when it, when I said Eddie Butley, Eddie Butley was stood in the room when when I was told I wasn't I wasn't good enough at the halfway mark. So when I, when I say that, all I'm saying there is, it was nice to go and prove the people what said I wasn't good enough to say. Well, I'm got a minute. He's good enough. Next minute, you know, I'm getting advice from John and Eddie going out playing in the Premier League. You know, so that is what it is. It's they're telling you what it what it requires to be a professional footballer and how difficult it is. It's not just scoring the goals or crossing a decent ball. It's about when you're injured, when you dropped. Have you got that personality and that character to get back in the team? And that's what you need. It's all about the grounding at the start, and that's what they did. And for me, it worked. That was perfect. Without that, no way would I would have gone on, because I wouldn't have had to fight. I wouldn't, have had any, I wouldn't have had no fight at all with me. They found something in me, They uh, and it worked for me. It pressed a button. And that was it, and it got the better out of me. So it's thumbs up all day long for me. is There is no nastiness at all. It's, it was what I needed. I mean, I came from like a silver spoon. I came from a, a good, a good life. It wasn't It wasn't tough for me. So all of a sudden, I needed to understand what it was, what I needed to to, to do to be a professional footballer. And you've got to show a lot of art, and you've got it, and you've got to dig deep at times. And that all came from those two. a at this point
0: in history are going for a great renaissance, you know, Lumakari is doing wonderful, wonderful things. Does that does that seep its way through to the youth level, that sort of feel-good factor?
3: Well you're all in it together, you know, it's not just the first team, it's everybody. And I'm not, not just talking players, I'm talking about staff, groundsmen, everyone there in it. When things aren't going well, it's your it's your uh, your laundry lady, it's your groundsman, everybody feels it. It's all in it together. But on our, when you're a player and you're trying to make your way, and it's one thing which I think is a problem in the game today. I mean, for us, we had we had a youth team. You went into the reserves. We played against men. At that particular time, it was a combination. So we were going up to London, playing all your top teams at Arsenal, Tottenham, playing at their grounds and playing against players who weren't in the first team, who were injured. So our, our route for that there was you're looking at the first team and you're thinking, I want that. I want a bit of that. You do all your Christmas... You know they get you singing at Christmas to earn your bonuses and messing about and all that, and you want that. And eventually, when you get there, you know you have the apprentices coming through. Then and it's their opportunity, so you're striving for that. But to be a part of it, you learn. Lou McCarty had his way, you know, which was a lot of running, a lot more physical, uh, but it brought him success. Uh, and then all of a sudden, then it went the opposite way with Aussie, etc., like that, which which was different. And you look at Swindon, then it was amazing some of the managers what what they managed to get into the club. And obviously, with it, when they mentioned the Premier League, the backing, what they've got, with obviously some of the big companies what are in Swindon, you know, it was it, it was good times to be there all the way through with the different managers, etc. Yeah,
0: yeah. And and I've got to ask, whose boots did you clean?
3: I think I was Kingy's, mate. Oh, no, I know was, I was Kingy's Alan McLaughlin as well. Now, Alan used to give me a lift from Manchester when we used to go home. So, I used to get a nice tip from him. But you had to, the worst one was when you had to come in and do your singing it. <laughs> you had to do a song in front of everyone. Oh, you used to, used to come in a, a song at Christmas to get your bonuses. Now that was when you're young, you used to shatter you, you, used to think no, but it makes you stronger. Once again, it's all this, it's all this making you understand what, what it takes. That you've got to have a bit of a personality.
0: Gonna have to know
3: what that song was, Nikki. It would just been a Christmas one, wouldn't it? <laughs> It'd have been a band-aid job, you would have been a boring one. It didn't have Oasis at the time. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> No, not at all. Okay, so the mix.
0: Then, so you make your debut for Swindon. It's, it's like a one-off cameo. I think you are you're a, you're, yeah, you're an unused sub early into the eighty-nine ninety season at Oldham, which is probably good because you go and visit the family straight after, I imagine. And Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> exactly. Nice one, Aussie. Um, but you make your debut against Wolves uh, a few weeks later. As a second-half substitute for Duncan Shearer, oh, I mean, I never. Just go... say,
3: listen, listen. When you say that, just say uh, the substitution for Shearer. And everyone <laughs> could think, oh, hang on, is it Alan Shearer? And you go, no, Duncan. No,
0: no, Duncan's far more important than Alan. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't make no mistake about that. This, this is a Swindon podcast. He's the original <laughs> Shearer, as far as we're concerned.
3: When Shearer was rested. On came Nicky Somerby, son of Mike of Swindon Manchester City in England.
0: It's a big game. I mean, this is a 10,000 plus attendance. Wolves always took loads. Steve Ball was the rising star of the lower leagues, really, because of the goals he and he's making the England squad. I'm always reluctant to talk about actual games because we're talking about 30 years ago plus. But do you remember your debut in any
3: way? Yeah, of course you do. It's quite uh, surreal, to be honest with you, and petrifying. Uh, you, once you get the call, and then all of a sudden you're stood at the side of the pitch and you're waiting to come on, it's nervous. It's, uh, it's just like it's what you wanted. It's your dream. It's, it's what you dreamt of when you were a young kid playing in the back garden or wherever you were. And, and it, it's happening, you know, and the adrenaline gets you through it. And you breathe in, you can't get your breathing right, and you're running and you just lose a little bit of focus of, of what you're doing. But you're coming at the end and you're in the dressing room, and it's like that. What's just happened there? whoa, it's just like, it's, it's, whoa, it's unbelievable, and the atmosphere, and you're up against men, but men being physical as well, uh, you, you know, you so see you wait, you have to wake up, and you have to learn very quickly, but you never forget it, the smell, the, uh, uh, the crowd, everything, it's, it, it's what gets you addicted, it's what you want, you know, it, it takes you, it takes you quite a bit of time till you understand what to do. I mean, when you first get on, you're running after everything. You're too eager. As time goes on, you learn to control your breathing, control when to run, you know, and obviously you have mistakes in that. I made plenty of mistakes when I first got into the team. So you learn from that very quickly. I think I got sent off in a game at Millwall away very early, very early, Uh, and you learn very quickly. The manager pulls you, you realise that you let the team down, and you, you learn, and you learn all the way through. But it's great to, to have the people like Glenn Oddle and the managers what were there. I mean, when I, when I was there, it was we had a competition with no nastiness at all with it. It was me it and Oggy, you know. And it was, don't get me wrong, is when Ozzy came on, is it, what I'd still pretty much made it was making it as a centre forward, don't forget. You know, it wasn't until Glenn came when he moved me out to, to the right-hand side. So as far as my dream and me thinking I'm OK, I've not done too bad. I managed to make my debut up front. So that gives you a little bit of idea where I went with that. But it was me, me and Oggy we, We're best of pals, but we wanted to get in there, you know. And when Aussie was there, Aussie preferred uh, Oggy Got quite a few games, played a few games. Things went well for him, and rightly so. But then all of a sudden, when Glenn Oddle came, it went in my favour. And it just shows you how fine football is, how... You know, you, you, you can get one person get a bit of luck, the other person can't. And when Glenn Otto came in, the luck changed to, to me and he didn't fancy Oggy as much. So, you know, before he was a flavor, he was the one and I wasn't getting in. And all of a sudden then when Glenn came, it, it was my turn. So it just shows you how lucky in certain situations you need to be.
0: Aussie the dealers. Uh, for your age group, major, major name.
3: How, what was that experience like for you? Just surreal. You know, it was, uh, I mean, I, I knew him, and obviously, and Dad knew him because Dad had been in the Escape to Victory film with, with Ozzy. I mean, I was mad as that. And he came over straight away, and I thought, he said, "How's your dad? As usual, as I, as I always, used, <laughs> always used to get. And it, it was just like that. Wow, you know, World Cup winner. They would Maradona and Kempest, and you're like, oh, whoa. You know, and all of a sudden, he's at Swindon Town. Uh, and it was just brilliant. But he was very a lot of his stuff. I mean, he, he came playing, uh, and, I, and I remember that game you're we talking about, Oldham, because it was the it was the plastic pitch, uh, and we got battered. And he was playing in the in the in the game. And I think after that, or or shortly, or sh- around about that time, is when he stopped playing. And that's when he went into his managing. But yeah, wonderful. A lot of his training was circles, get keeping keeping hold of the ball, possession, moving the ball around quickly. And it was great and he was a character but he used to when we used to go away on buses he used to play Pavarotti full blast out the uh, out the bus on the way to where we're going
0: (laughs) don't Don't mind it (laughs) that's one way of doing it isn't it
3: (laughs) absolutely yeah
0: (laughs) when it when it comes to being a young pro in this era where there's two substitutes you, you you're on the bench for one week alongside Ozzy Adiles, and then you come on the next against Wolves, but then you disappear from the first team setup. There's no substitute appearances, there's no unused substitute appearances during the rest of that fantastic season for Swindon Town. What what is is the motivation just getting your name, getting your, getting yourself recognized by the senior players and management? Is there is there any lingering doubt where you're like, how is this going to happen? Because the loan market isn't even that strong at that time in, in football history either. So there's not really many opportunities to get out and play football.
3: No, you're learning all the time. Uh, I mean, this is when I go back to the to the John Trollope bit. This is what you need, because this is real football. This is real life. When you're not in the team, from all of a sudden having the massive highs of, of going in front of a crowd, 10,000, whatever, and getting the adrenaline rush to not being involved, you know, when you're playing, all of a sudden the team are picking up confidence, you're training with them once again up against men and you've got to try and stamp your authority and, and show the manager that, that that you're that you're good enough to get into the team. And it's difficult against ex- when you're with experienced professionals uh, and you've got to show a lot of character to get into it. But this is where it went on towards, as I was saying with, with Paul Hunt, Oggy started to take get his opportunity and Oggy was taking it. Yeah, and Ozzy idealist was think was loving Oggy as well so for me it was different it was different because of the only two substitutions Oggy was the favourite I had to deal with that and try and, and try and show what I was worth in the reserves and you just got to keep chipping away and hopefully you get your opportunity every every week the team sheet gets put up the squad you think of me in it I mean I was it I was traveling with the with the team but not involved at all so that's where you get the chance to watch the game watch the players what you're going to do how you're going to come back you know and, and it gives you that bit of Bit of determination, but when you're only young, and as I said, when you're when you're playing, when you're up against experienced players, and you're trying to make your mark, it's difficult. Yeah, do you know what you need? I tell you what you need there is, like in anything in 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 life, you need someone just to believe in you, someone just to say, "I tell you what, I like him." Aussie did that with with Paul Hunt, didn't so much with me. You need someone to say, "I tell you what, I think he's okay, mate," and they believe in you. Like anything, we we, we were we were covering. Uh, we spoke. We spoke to Dave Seaman over here, and he, and we were just talking about his career. And he, and he said everybody needs somebody to help you. He said when he was at when he was at uh, England, Teddy Venables said you're my number one. He said and I felt like I was the biggest thing ever. Same type of situation. You need a manager, what just thinks, hang on, I like him, and it just makes you feel it makes you feel the best. And I just didn't have that with with Aussie, you know. And, and when you're on the outskirts, and all of a sudden it's difficult to to get in.
0: Did the senior players look after you at this stage or are they like, this is this is another person that's trying to take my place? What's the relationship like with the more senior players during that first season as a pro?
3: No, because, you know, you're not really... It's difficult to, to get in, but they're great. You know, they're helping you in certain situations. Uh, having a go at you, taking the piss out of you and all that. Once again, it's all part of, of, of building you, making you stronger. But don't get me wrong, is you want to get into their spot and eventually you have to get a bit, bit nasty. My... My big one for me was later on when I ended up playing on the right hand side was Dave like You know how good Dave like was and how experienced he was. I had to try and get in front of him, you know. And luckily enough, I did manage to get a few games, But eventually, he moved, and that's what it opened up for me. You see, so it's difficult when you're up against when you're up against players which have played for, for quite some years, and you've got to break your way in. You know, you've got to you've got to show some character. It's and with the players what came in, they're always poss- they're always possibly going to be they're not going to be dropped because they're the players which the club brought in and they're the ones who are, they're the ones who the club are paying. You know, for them to bring a young player in and for you to take over from him, from him, I don't think that happened a lot. that.
0: No, you you become much more of a fixture in the uh, in the first team in the 91-92 season. Of course, that's the first. Full season of Glenn Hoddle, so you get Aussie dealers again from you growing up, major player to Glenn Hoddle, who is probably one of the most technical, technically gifted players of the generation, as far as English players are concerned, certainly. So Glenn changed changed everything as far as your football career is concerned at this point, doesn't
3: he? Yeah, absolutely. He just came from Monaco, didn't he, with Arsene Wenger. So you I look back at it now and, and and the and the stuff I'm talking about, the diet, the training was well ahead, well well, well advanced to, to what it what we were used to seeing before. And obviously he was playing as well, which made a big difference. And in the position where they were, I was I was a wing back at the time because he was playing as a sweeper. So it suited me perfectly. And he he believed in me. He saw something there. Uh, and it all came from, obviously, one day in training where, where he put me out on the right wing. He saw something, you know, and that changed all my career. He said, he's not a centre-forward. Have you seen the way he crosses the ball? And all of a sudden, they thought we're onto something here now, and they nurtured it and they helped it. Uh, and I, I started playing games, and I would say to any young player who's trying to make their way at the, at the moment, uh, you've got to start playing first-team football and you've got to start playing against men week in, week out, and you learn very quickly. That is, you learn to ride a tackle, you learn with the ups and downs and you work. You learn with playing professional football, first team football on a regular basis. And I was fortunate to do that. And obviously playing with it, with, with the likes of Glenn Oddle, you know, that was phenomenal to, to, to play with him. I remember one instance, we were playing a reserve team game on the county ground and he kept spraying the ball out to the left hand side spraying it that wonderful passing what he did and so I thought oh, yeah, I better show i on a bit keen so I said I said Glenn you're passing to the right hand side what you did what you did he said don't stand there and look at me make a run so I got the ball I played in the ball and I just ran I couldn't believe it this thing just came over on my shoulder this ball I don't know where it came from right in front of me it was the most wonderful pass there I think I fell over it or miscontrolled it or whatever and I just thought wow you know, and that was the type of player that was what he was all about. And to see him and, and to be actually on the pitch with him and watch him in situations, in tight situations, and to show that quality, what he's got. And you can only learn from that, you know.
0: Who advised you to get the haircut? What haircut? <laughs> from the long hair to the uh, to the to the <laughs> modest short. Excuse
3: me, I love that one at the time. Oh, I love that. The old mullet no <laughs> oh, that was perfect I used to have it permed at the back had everything done there it was one I was like I love, I love the old hair the old like Paul Walsh type of thing wasn't it like, that was the way forward that we used to we used to have it short on top and long at the back oh we love that there I think I think, I think, think, Oggy and Ed, we all had it then and then we eventually <laughs> shaved it all off
0: oh dear never mind I'm going to continue mocking you a little bit here because uh, your, your, your first major contributions in the first team as far as the regulars concerned um always makes me smile because, you know, you score an own goal at Cambridge and then you get sent off at Millwall. Um, and then things get better as the season <laughs> goes on, I would say.
3: <laughs> Getting sent off at Millwall, there's a way of making an impression in the game. we well, you're just keen when you come on. You, you, you're over, you, you overcompensate. You're too keen. You're adrenaline. You don't know when if, if there's a tackle there. You don't think about stepping off. You know, you want to impress. And, and it's maximum adrenaline. You know, and you're just steaming in everywhere, and you, you, that's why it's a little bit of a blur. But without that, is you know, it's that, that's where you it's, you learn from there. As bad as what it is, I remember Glenn Oddle talking to me, sitting me down, calling me to the front of the bus when we were coming back, and just telling me, "Look, this is what you've got to do. You've got to calm down. You've got to blah 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 in these situations." You know, and you learn from that. Own goals. He must have kept. I, I think for the first couple of for the first couple of months, he must have been pulling me to the front of the bus every week because I was making mistakes. I was out of position. You know, and that's where and that's where you've got to learn. You've got to learn quickly. If you don't learn, you'll be out of the team. So, these are the things which are awful at the time. You know, which you feel like you've left let the team down, and you imagine it. You're with all the experienced pros, and you you keep making mistakes. So you've got to learn very quickly. So uh, they were they were not nice at the time, but they're once again they're the building blocks. they 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 are what they are all going inside you, and they're the ones which are making you eventually the player who you are at the end when you make it into the Premier League or whatever. Link, as it lets it run to Hodl. And Coslake's away now,
2: It's in the box. Chance for Somerby, it's there! Super shot, breakaway football. Liddy Somerby,
3: 12 minutes into the second half, swing and take the lead.
0: You play in some of the countries, biggest derbies what are your memories of playing in the local derbies of Swindon
3: oh I loved it do you know what we used to do when we were when we were sweeping the stands and when we were because we had to do what when you clean all the first team dressing rooms you know at the end we used to run over the pitch because they were all scrapping on the old uh, on the magic roundabout the way fans used to go and we used to watch all they were scrapping all the time we go okay the police they're all scrapping over there and we used to drop our brooms run over the pitch and watch everyone Especially in the local derbies, because it was just all and you, you understood, you understand what it was all about, you understand what it meant to the, to, to the fans and everything in that area. You know, I'm from Manchester, but all of a sudden you learn very quickly what it means uh, to play in a local derby or to, to be a part of it. I was watching at the start, and then all of a sudden to be a part of it at the end, it was, and that's, that's the Bristols, that's obviously Oxford as well. You know, and you know, it is, it's is—it's big. It's big in the, in the areas. And I don't obviously remember watching them and playing them. And there's nothing better than the derby. It gives it that added bit of spice, doesn't it? You know, and that comes from the crowd. That comes from the, that's what it means to uh, to the fans. And you feel that when you go out. And you feel that on the build-up as well. You know, you look straight away when the, when the fixtures come out and you think there's something special about those games. That's it. And you get that, that even more adrenaline. Oxford, City or
0: Rovers, which one did you guys look forward to the most?
2: Bristol City. It's
3: always Bristol City.
2: It's always Bristol, Bristol City. It's really interesting. Bristol
3: City. But don't get me wrong, Oxford, Oxford was good. Oxford, yeah, they all, listen, the Old. were. We used to play at Twerton Park as well. And they used to sing that song or whatever in the background. Ooh. And it was like everyone was all swaying in the background. <laughs> the real atmosphere. And yeah, you, do you know what? I'd say Bristol City, but the other two were very close as well.
2: Still late, Almon Oh, a slip by Hazard. Well, Fenners, the pass wasn't accurate enough.
1: Summerby, Good strike. Oh,
2: fabulous goal.
0: Marvellous effort by Nicky
1: Summerby.
0: You're listening to the Low Strangers podcast, proudly sponsored by the STFC Official Supporters Club. So at what point do you become a senior player? Because you've warned me of all of these wonderful tales um, of your time at Swindon. That usually comes at the point where you've got the confidence and the ability to uh, to be a bit more mischievous. When, when does that begin to to come through for you in the first team?
3: Well, it's a good question, that, to be honest with you. I don't think I was a senior pro when I was at Swindon when I left. don't think I was. <laughs> all it was is I'd played two or three seasons. That That was it. I think you become that in your latter years. You know, when you when you're one of the one of the older players in the dressing room, uh, you, you know, it's you're learning all the time. You know, and it, don't get me wrong, it can go wrong at any time. You could be out the game. That's that's how serious it is. So you you only become at the end when you when you when you've possibly played you probably when you when you're late twenties something like that thirties. Then all of a sudden you can be, become like like the old chalky white. There's one for you no teeth in his mouth, nothing like that, running around everywhere. And that's it. That's a player who's worked hard in his career, played plenty of games, had loads of knocks, and all of a sudden you look up to him and they're the players which have had really good careers.
0: Yeah. Who were those sort of, I mean, I, I, the stories I always hear involve John Moncur, who were the, the the more, who were the characters at Swindon during your time there?
3: they just, they all were. There was loads of characters. Everybody different. Some quiet, you know. You've got you've got Zippy Bowden. He's he's named Zippy because he runs around everywhere and he's busy and he wanted the ball. Uh, John Moncur was crackers. John Moncur was crackers. I do it. that's official. That he was Paul Gascoigne's mate. Uh, but what a player, by the way. John was phenomenal, phenomenal footballer. Got you talking about Duncan Shearer, Steve Foley. we got all. Oh, everybody is different. When you're in that dressing room, you, you, you need you have to have a personality. You know, and that is what we had. Kevin Earlock was one. You know, he broke into the team. He was. He went on a night out with him. He knew about it with Kevin. And we were all. We were all John Gittins. You know, to rest his soul as well. Is he? What a What a guy. I learned a lot from John. Uh used to go on nights out with him around Swindon, and it was. There's characters. Everyone's different. And that's what makes it. It's a pot of all different people. Uh, and and you just you're laughing at everything all the time, and just on Ross McLaren, you know they just Fraser, dig, but everybody, all the all these brilliant people. What you learn from, and when that door closes, the fans don't see, but you live it every day, and you get they're taking the piss out of you, and you're trying to give it a bit back. John Gorman, by the way, was brilliant in the dressing room. John was great. Oh, when we when we made it up to the to the Premier League, and Glenn had gone, and John took over, and he brought David Hay in. We went on pre-season tour and you wouldn't have thought that we were going to play in the Premier League. You just wouldn't have thought it at all. They're singing karaoke. I think we was in Norway or something. They're on the bus, them two, singing karaoke all the time. <laughs> it was so laid back pre-season I've ever done. You would never have thought we are going to go and play in the Premier League. And it was yeah. all full of these characters. It was lo- uh, Lingy, you know, all those, Sean Taylor, Colin Calderwood, some, some, some great people. You couldn't just single one person out. But if you're asking me who's the most craziest one, you would have to say uh, John Monker. I think slightly behind that Andy Much.
0: Mm. Show your working for uh, for for John Monker. What made him crazy?
3: Well, we went. Uh, what did you, Well, I'll give you an idea. It is we went to a game once and he wasn't playing, and we were staying in Waltham Abbey in the hotel. So uh, all the lads were having a drink, and there's a big, huge foyer there. So what he did there was, is at the end when everyone's everyone's having a drink and he's getting a bit late, is you thought where's John gone, and all of a sudden he was just sat in the corner naked, having a drink, <laughs> in this hotel. <laughs> you know, is that not crazy? So people were walking in, he was just in the corner naked in the hotel. Brilliant, John, well done. Oh, well, we used to we we used to go to Cheltenham races as well. And one of the groundsmen used to take us down there and he was on the roof of the van. He was everything. He was all over the place. And it was just having a bit of fun. But he was crackers. He was crazy, but good. As a wonderful, wonderful footballer. He possibly looks back because he spent a lot of time at Tottenham not really playing. And we got a guy there who is. was, you always tell a, a good player, when things don't go well, they still want the ball. And he wanted it. And he was, he was was he was huge for us. Fantastic signing to get him in. You know, and he went on. Obviously, played at West Ham and was it was a great player. But he must look at those early years when he was at Tottenham because I think Mickey Hazard was there, Glenn Oddle. You know, he had no chance of getting into the team, but he sat there in the reserve. So when he came out and played with us, he was he was he was brilliant. And the ones who were like that are possibly a bit crackers. That's why he was mates with Paul Gascoigne.
0: <laughs> Certainly sounds like a graduate from the Paul Gascoigne school of uh, behind the scenes of football. That's for sure. Um, We're at the 92 93 season now, which, you know, I went to my first game in 1990 um, and I lived away from Wiltshire, so I didn't go to any games in 91 92, but I I went to a few in 92 93. So this is the first time I see you play. And I don't know what it was really, because as I said to you, 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 Sean Taylor, and Kevin Horlock were. You know, my big three over a few years, but people like Jan Fjortoft and Luke Nyholt came into um, it came into the equation at times. Um, but you three were, were the big three for me when I was growing up. And I don't know really what it was about. I mean, yes, I mean, it's well known that you sort of were a bit scruffy in your appearance, but you had that sort of action with your arm, which you, you did things just a little bit differently to other footballers.
3: Yeah, well, I, I had trouble with it throughout my career, you know, because if you if you would come and first see me at the start, you think, well, he's a lazy sod. In, Look at him, his shirts hanging out. Is he was <laughs> he bloody tapping. Is he is he trying to leg? But it's not. I was long striding. You know, it was. I mean, when I was at, at Manchester City, we had, people used to say, well, I'm gone. You got Paul Dick off. It was only small, and his feet used to run quickly. And you used to think, well, he's working harder than me, he wasn't? And my strides were long, and I looked scruffy, and I looked uninterested possibly, but it wasn't about that. Like, I was effective about what I did. I could cross a ball, you know, and I could, I could get down the right hand side and I could, and, and that was my job all the way through my career. I could, there's one thing I could cross a ball. Now you might say, was that it? There's a lot of players playing in the Premier League. Now it can't cross a ball. We've got all the pace, all the skill in the world. There's no point beating three players and if you can't cross a ball. And that's what I could do. That was my, my, my feet were like 10 to two. It was like a duck. It was strange, ever such a weird, strange sort of style. But that enabled me a bit across the ball. I just used to hit these areas. And the way in which I used to do it was where you center, where your defenders are and your goalkeeper, I used to try and zip the ball right across the face of the goal. I didn't want them to get on the end of it, to be honest with you, because they used to, they used to piss me off, the old centre-forwards, because they got all the glory. They were the ones I used to go, but they used to say, where's the crosses? We're not getting any crosses. So I just used to try and hit it as hard as possible across and say, hang on, why aren't you getting on the end of it? And that, it ended up working out because they knew what I was trying to do. I was trying to get the ball in as early as possible and it was effective. And from where you were looking at me thinking he was lazy, you were thinking, well, i I've got a minute, he's pretty, He's not a bad cross of a ball. He's pretty effective. And that's what eventually it worked out. People looked at me and thought, yeah, well, it, yeah, he's okay. Actually, he actually knows what he's doing. He can cross a ball. But when he first saw me, you think what a lazy sod he is. And that was the problem What I had all the time, you see. Yeah, it's weird because everything about the way you play looks
2: like
0: you were perfect for the position you went on to play as opposed to a centre-forward. It's, it's almost as if it's
3: yeah. like what could have been had you found that position earlier? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, listen, I wouldn't have made it as a centre-forward. I wasn't good enough at that. Uh, but all of a sudden, it, when I went to the right-hand side, it, it just felt right because I, I could just cross the ball. You know, and then all of a sudden getting the opportunity, which is the main point. And then when, once you start playing on a regular basis, you get that even more belief and then you, you get stronger, you know. And in the position, I felt comfortable. I could cover the ground. I mean, it was it a difficult position to play because obviously when you're playing as a sweeper, you're expected to defend the winger and then you're expected to cross balls the, 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 the other end as well. So it's hard work. But the more and more you play, the more you get stronger physically you know, it felt right for me, and I just enjoyed it because I was looking at the game. The game was in front of me. It wasn't like when we back. It wasn't when we back into a defender. It was there in front of me. No one's coming from behind me. No one, and it felt comfortable. It's about the first touch and opening your body up.
0: Yeah. At the start of 92-93, we have David Kerslake, who, in terms of defensive right sided players, he's probably the best outside of the Premier League um, at that stage. I think he was in the Team of the Year three years running for the PFA. And then he leaves nearer to the end of the season and that's where the number two shirt becomes yours and it's a huge moment for you in your career and it's also a pretty big moment for Swindon as well because it was that key thing. When you lose such an important player like David Kersley, I imagine the fans, the older fans would have been like, well, you know, key component gone. But you slotted in so seamlessly at that point that it, it, you know, and I don't wish to sort of we'll say, a detriment to David because he was a fantastic player, but it, it wasn't as noticeable as it could have been. What what are your memories of the 92-93 season going all the way up to Tramier and Leicester in the playoffs?
3: Yeah, but, I mean, just going up before it... Uh, I'd obviously played played a few games, was getting in and getting in and getting left. And it was all about Dave Kerslake and rightly so, the performances he was putting in. But anytime those performances were dipping, I was in the office. I was banging on the door saying, when am I getting to get my chance? I was putting as much pressure as what I could do. I had to get in somehow or other. You know, I understand it. I, you know, I wasn't frightened of just being forceful and trying to, trying to get, trying to... I wasn't just sitting, not watching my career go by. I had to get in. But when Dave went... Listen, they must have weighed it up. They must have thought, well, I'm got a minute. He's ready, Nick, now. We could probably get a bit of money from Dave. Maybe the time is right. You know, if I wasn't ready then, you know, if Glenn didn't think it was right, maybe he wouldn't have gone. Maybe they'd have brought somebody else in. You know, they must have known something themselves. They wouldn't have took a gamble on someone who really wasn't good enough. They must have, they must have got me to a stage thinking, yes, we can do good business here now and it can work out for us. And I had to take the opportunity if I didn't take the opportunity, they'd have, they'd have brought somebody else in. So that was my time. You've got to take it when it comes to you. You know, this is what you're working for. This you're in now. Going back to the old John Trollope thing again. Got to take your chance. This is it. This is this is this is how cutthroat football is. Maybe if it doesn't work out here now, you don't. It doesn't happen at Swindon Town. But I got in. Dave leaving. Thank you, Dave. That was that, that was the chance. What and yeah, thank you. It was yeah. Without that, do you know what I'm trying to say here now? To make a football and you need that bit of luck along the way. as I said with Oggy, it went for me with, 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 with Glenn Oddle coming in Dave Kersley going it went for me again. you know those certain little situations sometimes don't happen to a lot of people you know and their pathway is, is a lot more a lot more difficult if you understand what I'm trying to say. so that opened up nicely Dave going. that was my chance and I had to take it.
0: Yeah, you did. And Swindon make it to Wembley for the second time in, in a matter of years um, after the unfortunate post-events uh, from the Sunderland game. Um, you, you start, of course, in the 93 playoff final against Leicester. Looking
3: for basketball. of his dancer famed aggression I don't know if you uh any of our viewers can remember I'm sure a lot of you will remember Mike Somerby from uh, the 60s and 70s he uh, knew how to take care of himself as they say and he's passed that on to his son well he was always going to be second there Nicky Summerby there you see it again and um, it was really a despairing lunge and um... David Ellery has uh, taken action. course, one of the problems of the, or one of the downsides of the Swindon system is that Paul Bowden and Nicky Somerby are continually getting caught forward. If there is a misplaced pass, then there's always a chance of a counter.
0: Unless Silly yellow card away. after just a few minutes, though, Nick. What's going on there?
3: <laughs> Still not learning, am I? I'm not, I'm not learning. You've got to learn, man. It's I'm a disaster. What's going on? He must have thought, Glennon. I mean, even when I watch the game now, I'm caught out of position when it's... I think it's for their third goal. Eventually, I'm I'm a bit of ball watching. But what I remember is the game, the first game against Tranmere. I mean, it was just straight away. We came out the block straight away. Was it 2 0 up? You know, it's it's a dream. You you know, you're so near to number one making it to Wembley and then making it to the Premier League. And we have a great start. We, We could not get any better. We put them under pressure. We get the goals at the right time. And it was it wasn't easy, but it went too good for us in the in the first game, and then obviously the second game was a lot more difficult. But we had the quality to come through, and then obviously getting the opportunity to play at Wembley what you could only dream of, you know. And this is I'm on it at this particular time. I'm on the wave. I'm on the it, it's my time, you know. And it's things are going well for me, and you've got to take it. And you're full of confidence. You're not worried about anything, you know. You, you you've gone through those nerves of getting your your debut. All of a sudden, you're playing regularly now, and it just keeps coming. It, just, it keeps getting better better. Next minute, you're getting measured up for a suit to go to Wembley. And it's from playing in the back garden, from dreaming, from having tough times at the start as an apprentice, to it happening for you. You know, when you, you're there and you just want it, you're not bothered at all, you're not worried about stepping out at Wembley, you're just full of it and thinking, come on, let's get on with it, and let's let's have it. And that's what it was, just full of confidence.
0: Yeah, Leicester City were a team that we didn't, we always struggle against Leicester, even at our best side, we 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 tend to, I mean, we lost to them, I think, 4-2 in the in the season, I think we drew the other one, and to have that part of the game where we were just in dreamland from Glenn putting us ahead just before half time, and then Maskell and Taylor scoring to go 3-0 up. Obviously, you play your part in the third because it's your corner that leads to the goal. But there's no way you can prepare for that tactically because Leicester are a good side. Tramier were a good side. And we find ourselves in this, this... Wonderful situation. Before we talk about any other memories again, while it's on my head. I, every time I see sean Taylor's goal, I always think of the uh, the streamers that are wrapped around your ankles as, as you take the corner, and I just always think, oh that could have gone either way."
3: <laughs> yeah, brilliant. I mean, I mean, the whole day. I remember my mum and dad. They were we got them a seat right above. There, there was a bits above where the Swindon where the Swindon fans are, and they were wrapped in the gods there. And to see the, the, I mean, as a whole of Swindon there, it was just the atmosphere. And my friends were right beside the dugout, sat down there. There was about seven or eight of them there. And to go one goal up, obviously, in the second half, I'm right next to them. Two, three, I'm giving it all that. We're having a drink. Come on, that's all that. The old Paul Merson drinking one. We're all giving it. Here we go. We made it. And then all of a sudden, three, one, three, two, three, three to, your ass just coming out, just going, gone, gone, like that. It's, it, we've had it, the dream's there, to all of a sudden, it, 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 this is a nightmare. We've gone, and they're, and they're coming forward at us. It's all about them, and somehow or other, you know, we managed to, to, to get one back to a penalty, should I say, from uh, Mr White. 100% penalty, it was, wasn't it? <laughs> Wow. It's it's the it's debate
0: just... that rages on. Um everybody says, you know, all of the teammates of, of Chalky says it was a dead-on penalty, um, with a nudge and a wink. Um, we're not having it any other way. You know, David Pleat <laughs> said it was a stonewall penalty. So it's all, so, you know, who are we to argue with David? We're Pleat? taking
3: it. Hey, it's a given. Don't worry about it. there's no argument, it's gone, it's history. Yeah, it, it it's it's <laughs> it's
0: crazy really that that. We were given that up. I mean, you you yourself, you played in two of the, the, the craziest finals, Absolutely. Wembley games, not just of the decade, but of all time. you know, just I I still cannot I mean I watched the the Swindon final still a couple of times a year, like the highlights, and just just wonder how the paramedics didn't have people have people on demand because the 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 heart rates that that the Sooner fans would have had and the players would have had alone would have been insane.
3: Yeah, it's different when you're playing because you, 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 you're you in on it, you know, and you don't. It, you, the emotions, you're just involved in the game. Everything else around it is worse because you, you want your side. You're so near to it. One minute you've got it. You're in the Premier League. Next minute, is this dream going to be taken away? You know, the emotional ride is great for us to say now what a fantastic day because we came through it and we were victorious so it's, it's good for that but i went the opposite side where it wasn't victorious for us so that is not that is not nice but it was it was the, it was the character what we had in the dressing room and for chalky to come on perfect substitution uh we brought mickey hazard on as well i think at a certain point which with a good move with his experience what he's got and how he how he manages to keep the ball uh but chalky did it he got in front the goalkeeper came out and we dug deep and managed to, to, to get it. And then the pressure, obviously, is with Zippy, Paul Bowden. Huge penalty. The money, what that is worth and what it means to the... Not just about... Well, it is about money because not only is it getting... getting swindling into the, into the Premier League, it's financial as well. It's huge. And, you know, you'd hate to worry about being the director then. They're the ones who do feel it then for that penalty. You couldn't... And no one could look and the, the noises and the screaming... You know, and all of a sudden to get over the line, and just to, I, I don't think I looked. I think I was with a lot of the players that had to look the opposite way. And all of a sudden, when you wear that scream and it's party time, we're off. the way we go then. And what I remember there is, I mean, you couldn't get any more. You couldn't get more adrenaline pumping through your body. I couldn't tell you the highs. And then you get on the bus, and the lads are going to see having a few drinks after. And then when you Get to the motorway and then all of a sudden get off at Swindon. There was there was scenes there which were which Olivia forever. We were pretty much I think it was blocked on the M4 just getting off at the at the junction and we all jumped onto the roof of the bus and it was it was time to to, to party. Then it was f- unbelievable day with the emotions. You know it was the emotion. It was a it was a roller coaster of good going wrong and all of a sudden having the ecstatic feeling of that we'd actually made it to the Premier League.
0: Yeah, it's the perfect, perfect cup final, especially if you're a neutral, because you've got that that sort of backdrop of red and blue in the ground. You've got the goals, the goal, the structure of the game means that there's plenty of drama. Um, I love the fact that people turning away. It kind of explains why when Paul Bowden goes off to celebrate, he turns around almost to be like, where is everyone? I'll hear you all are, because you're probably about you know two metres behind having to realise it's, it's a goal or not. Um, and also, I mean, one of the things I remember from the time and it was probably from the Premier League video that was out half. You know, I think they waited until we at least won a game, but they had the, the end scenes in the changing rooms after Wembley, and it's Nick Summerby in a straw hat singing "Singing in the Rain." Um,
3: You know, <laughs> wild behavior. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's what, that, that's what that's what it's all about with football. You know, that's the, that's what it does to you. You know what it does to you as fans, but as players, they're the memories. They're the. Uh, all the, all the hard work to get where you are to get into the team, uh, as we've spoke about, you know, that is what it is. They're, they're the special occasions. You know, not many people get them. You know, I had a lot of rele- I had relegation, I had promotions. But to actually do it in the manner what we did it uh, is, is what, it's, it's extra special. You know, what a day it was. That was fantastic. And we, we were lucky enough to come through and, and be winners as well.
0: And then that brings us to your final season, Premier League, Swindon Town in the Premier League, which is still an incredible achievement. I think the general consensus of the supporters, especially those who experienced it, is not one of, oh, we conceded 100 goals and we finished bottom. It's, it's of tremendous pride. Um, you talk about the importance of the playoff final. I think there was a lot of symbolism and importance just getting rid of the, the ghosts of 1990. So to, to make it there was hugely important. It wasn't to be for Swindon and you know Swindon Town have no right to be in the top flight it's an incredible incredible achievement and I I do I do I guess it's it's scant consolation but you do take a sense of pride with the amount of praise that Swindon used to get week in week out even though we were quite stubborn in our approach and we just kept on trying to play football in inverted commas the right way and it resulted in heavy losses what 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 are your sort of overriding memories of playing in the Premier League because of course you play against Manchester City and you score against them the club that you were raised to adore and and there's so many positives from that and it's such a shame because outside of Swindon people just tend to focus on the 100
3: goals conceded but it, it's not really the case is it? Yeah but we're not in record books I mean I work on the tele- television over here in Qatar and we're nowhere near the record books you know you look at the teams there for the worst points and blah 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 but nothing like that so that gives you a little bit of, of an achievement because it's difficult. But what I remember about it is, you know, when I, when I used to start off at Shrivnham Road and we used to every day walk past the stadium and all of a sudden, when you go to the Premier League, it's a different feeling. All the TV cameras are there. All, it, it, there's a big feeling about it. If you know, i have got a minute, we're in the Premier League and you know it as well. Everything about the club. Uh, and it, it, it goes up on many notches. And obviously, when the games are there, it's got to feel everything. It's just, it's another level. It's where you want to be. But you come up against that that that, that quality of, of player. Well, the first game with Sheffield United was a bit of a blur. I think we played Liverpool after that, if I'm right, by Oldham saying something. and then,
0: then Oldham yeah. and then Liverpool, yeah.
3: Liverpool, Liverpool's on Sky Television, and we got that was welcome to the Premier League. And I had, I think, I had one of my stinkers again there. And I think I brought McManaman down at the start. There's your first one. Every that was, that was a that was a wake-up call that I, I didn't have a good game in front of the cameras, and that just showed you what it was all about. We we're thinking, hang on a minute. This is what we're against here now, and you could just feel it and the quality of what you're playing against. And you you got to realize, well, I've got a minute. The party's over now. We have to we have to do something in this league. And I do like that we stuck to our beliefs. We tried to play football. We uh, okay. We got battered at times, but there's a lot of positives and sort of a lot of big performances what, what what we managed to pull out as well. And obviously, so many players. MacAvaney coming in. Sanchez. We had that so many players coming in. Uh, Brian Kilkline, He came in. We had so many players. It's like a revolving door to try and get that. Uh, that solution, Yanagafuortov. He started off struggling, but then all of a sudden, when he when he hit his form, he was he was flying for us. And it was welcome to the Premier League. You know that is how difficult. When I when I look at teams now, I know it's a lot different. In the game now, and you look at the likes of your Burnleys and your and, and your Bournemouth up until last year. That's why it's phenomenal what they do. Those managers with the small clubs keeping them in in the Premier League. Such a difficult thing to do. You know, it felt like a mountain to try and stay in in the Premier League. You know, and it's it's tough because obviously, imagine trying to do it now with, with against some of these clubs with the huge money and they've they've got the, the spending power. You know, and it's you're playing against better t- better teams with better players, and it's a face a fight. But <clears throat> I learned an awful lot out of it. And me personally, I was fearless with it. it. Didn't worry me at all. I was just buzzing on it. I was in the Premier League my chance to dance if you like and I just took it and you know what you're fearless when you come into a football team at the start you don't think of the negatives you got you just fearless and going for everything and just enjoying it and I loved it and for me you know I, I end up getting a move on the strength of how I played there and I just I just loved every every bit of it.
0: What were the standouts from that season for you?
3: Just there wasn't a particular game. It was, uh, I was involved with a lot, with a lot of, of, of providing goals. My crossing was great. I was good down the right hand side. It, it wasn't a particular game. Being involved in certain things. I remember the one where Cantona got sent off in the big game there when, when he stamped on Monker. But just all the games, I, I was I was in my element, element and I was just loving it. It was, life did not get any better. So I couldn't, I couldn't say a particular one point. You know, it was it was playing in the Premier League. I, I felt at home, you test yourself when you go into it. Are you good enough to play in the Premier League? And yeah, I felt like I was, yeah.
2: A first away victory was confirmed in the last minute. Fjortoft again involved. Paul Bodin's ball into the area found Nicky Somerby. His shot and a slight deflection caught out goalkeeper Tony Roberts at to the near post. Swindon's only double left Jerry Francis contemplating how relieved he was QPR wouldn't be facing them next
0: season. You mentioned the history books. You are you do have your place in Swindon history on this one because you scored Swindon's last goal in the Premier League. Were you aware of that?
3: I didn't know, that. I like that. Yeah, there you that. go. Need, you take I, that. Listen, I need to get I need to get something on my C V. Yeah, there Look, you, you go. Only...
0: You are the proud scorer of Swindon's last goal in the top flight, which was at QPR on the penultimate game of the season. There you go. That's that's my gift to you. Thank you very much. <laughs> I mean, there's one thing that you know I never hear mentioned really in regards to you and your Swindon career. And of course, you are capped by England um, under 21 and B level. And I, I do count that B cap as a Swindon player because I think you, you you moved to Man City about a month later. So I'm, I'm claiming that
3: is, is that right? Yeah, I did yeah, and a player got in the team of the uh, Premier League team of the year. Uh, uh, which we were talking about, Dave Kerslake got it when he was at Swindon, so I got into that. So it was a good season for me. Uh, things went well for me, and obviously England beat. We, we played at Hillsborough, like the likes of Paul Merson who was playing in that game. So you know, I never, I never got a full England cap, but that's close enough for me. Uh, and I went on as well. At, I don't know if it's the end. It might be the the season before we went in the Premier League. We went to Toulon and won the won the the under twenty ones there. Uh, Red Naps, uh, Andy Coles, all those likes, the players like that. So, I started to mix with some of the players which went on and had fantastic careers, you know, at high level. So it was that when I say it was my time, I was on the wave and I was I was enjoying all everything else what came with it. Just the
0: winning goal in the semi final as well. You know, don't underplay that. Toulon's a huge competition at that at that level. It's it's a massive achievement.
3: Yeah, but I remember all the lads at the time they wanted to go home because it was the end of the season. And I got a load of stick for it. saying, What are you doing here? We want to go home and have a bus with Matt, and And you put us through the final. And then we, yeah, we, we end up playing the final. But the strange thing is, Laurie McMenemy was in charge at the time and he played me. He wanted me to play in front in midfield. He said, I've got you, want Gary, you've got Gary Flitcroft on one side and Jamie Redknapp on the other ones. And I want you to control those two there. I mean, for starters, I want a, mid, a centre midfield player. But another experience for me, these really experienced players and he wants me to be in charge of him. So another massive experience for me with all these all these key players. So, yeah, it was uh, it, it, it was it was great. We loved it.
0: When people talk about you moving to Manchester City, they always use the terms inevitability or inevitable. Was it inevitable? Was was it always sort of the expectation to go to Manchester City? Or is it just that's the way it played out?
3: It just It's just the way it was. Uh, I mean, if anything, Brian Robson, he was on the phone all the time wanting me to go to, to Middlesbrough. I even met Brian on, on several occasions and the ideas, what he had before he went to the Riverside. Uh, I think I think Dalgleish was interested when we got to Celtic and then after going to going to uh, Blackburn. But as soon as a new city were interested, being a Manchester lad and being around Dad and being at, at the games when Manchester Derby was there, that was what what i wanted and when it came i encouraged it you know and it was it, it it was the move a difficult it was difficult it was it was hard it was okay until we got relegated you know and it was i mean manchester united were dominant at the time they were winning everything uh, and city weren't but the but the fans and the expectations still thought still thought they were and it was just difficult. At the end, it was difficult because I had a bad time with the crowd and everything. But after that, I got moved to Sunderland, where it was better. It was difficult City because Dad was a, a legend there, you know, and he actually won everything. And the comparisons were always there. So it was, it was, it was a tough, tough move. But if you said, "Would I do it again?" Yeah, I would do it again. Yeah, yeah.
0: I guess that's where really the the surname really does kick in on that, the expectations and. You know the first season is fine, and then there's the relegation, and you know by the time by the time you leave, they're on their way to League One as it is now, um, and that happens, and it's a it's a good part of their story long term really because what yeah. they achieved now, if you if you were there in League One years, which many were, this myth that Manchester City aren't a, a well supported team or their new their new money which you know it's is remarkable really because you know swindon went to uh, main road in 97 and twenty-seven thousand were there for swindon you know that, yeah. that that's that's you don't drum that up without there being a solid fan base but yeah that game annoys the hell out of me one because kevin horlock scored his first goal for man city and then who scored the bloody second was it me it was you well, that was a really tough day for teenage Rich. I've got to be honest. That was a really, really difficult... Seeing those goals... Never celebrated, the though. Never celebrated.
3: <laughs> yeah. Just walked away. It was a rubbish goal as well, when it? it? was just like, I never scored crackers, <laughs> man. It was bloody really awful goals.
0: Oh, no, but yours, your, even if they were long distance, even the deflection sometimes made it look better. Don't worry about that. But, yeah, it was just... I remember those goals flashing through on CFAX like 16 minutes haul oh, off we all see back yeah the old they see facts there's a name for it,
3: yes. yeah one for
0: the one for the teenagers um it it was always inevitable that kevin was going to score because we'd only just sold him but then summer big comes up in the <laughs> second half and you're just like come on and then you, then you sort of uh awful <laughs> stuff but um i mean i think by that time i mean we beat you at home which was your first trip back to the county ground wasn't it um Uh, earlier in the season we actually got three points and unlikely three points from you but yeah it's, it's It is. It was. I mean, I love it when teams like Man City, Man City, end up in in the lowers, and when because Swindon are predominantly third tier now. When when teams like Sheffield Wednesday and Ipswich and even Sunderland yeah. come down, it just it does. I'm a. i am I support a smaller football team. You do get excited when you see those names um, re emerge. Sunderland was a really really successful time. I would say for year. Um, it was great seeing. You thrive in in that squad under Peter Reid. And, you know, you played in that wild, wild final, which I remember watching at Somerset County Cricket Club. I was supposed to be there watching Somerset versus Yorkshire, but ended up just in the, in the bar watching that game because it was absolutely insane. Um, and you, of course, scored and scored the penalty in just what is just batshit crazy football. But it doesn't matter because because you go up champions the following year. So that's all fine. I remember the season before the year of the Charlton game because you came to Swindon and there were borderline more, it felt like there were more Sunderland fans that day than there were Swindon because we gave you both ends. Just insane behaviour by the club, but got to get that money in, right?
3: <laughs> yeah, it, it was, yeah. But I mean, you know, in the northeast, it's a phenomenal uh, support there. You know, when you do go up to the likes of Sunderland, mm. I mean, it, you don't realize. It if you know, I didn't know so much about it, but they just love the football. We we played we played a reserve team game when I when I went up there, and it was against Liverpool, and they let everybody in for free, so the kids would come and the next generation. There was twenty seven thousand people on a Tuesday night. It's phenomenal what 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 the fan base. And for me to go there, that was, that was that was a that was everything. Going to, going right for me. Going into a situation where I didn't play as a wing back, I played as a winger, uh, and and it and it worked well. That was the best football I played. That yeah, you know, and it was. It, I went. They moved into the club, the stadium I like, you know, and it just it went it went really it went right for me. Uh, and, and it was a wave. Now Quinn was there. Kevin Phillips, he bought for 400 grand. You know, what a phenomenal player he was. And that that was, it, it, I wish he went on longer. It didn't. I got three and a half years there. Enjoyed it, got to the Premier League, but that was the best football which I played. That was from all the hard work to learning your trade, getting in the first team, going up with Swindon, getting your chance before it, and all of a sudden, not so, not so easy at Manchester City, but playing all the time and learning. It all came right for me at Sunderland.
0: There are various things that I say in this podcast that I repeat, and it probably bores listeners to tears. But I've I've lived in the northeast as an adult. I lived in Durham and Newcastle, and watched Sunderland a lot during that time. And I don't care what people say, especially in the south. There is something about football in that region which is just you can't explain it. It is yeah. They, they, I mean, you've got people, Newcastle fans, the ones that go on six o six and things like that. They're crazy. And they speak yeah, yeah. absolute nonsense. But the culture of football in those two cities, it's there from the moment you step off the train, from the moment you park your car and you walk around these places, it is football. And it's amazing. Where were you based when you were
3: up there? It was just where you were, Durham. Durham, Ferenc, yeah. Down by the river down there. We, we loved it. So, oh, yeah. yeah, it's, it's, it's special. It's, it's their life. I mean, there's a documentary at the moment, and it talks about Sunderland, which I would recommend you watch it. Uh, and the problems what they are. I mean, they've just got the new owner now, which is interesting. But it gives you an idea of what it means to people, and that—that that is what I realise when you're up there. It's—it's their, it's their life. When those lights go on at the at the stadium, that is—that is when the people come out from their houses and they go and support the side. You know, it's—it's it, it's a wonderful, wonderful p- uh, place to play football. And that there's no coincidence that there's so many big name players which have have had careers and managers from that type of region. Yeah. You are
0: you were a victim of, of tabloid scandal nearer to the end of your... Um, well, it ends your Sunderland career, doesn't it? Is, is that annoying, where private lives get in the way? I mean, of, of career, or is that just comes with the territory?
3: What, like what? Like all uh, going out partying and all that lot?
0: Yeah, exactly. Okay, can I...
3: Can I uh, there's one thing I'll safely say. I was better off the pitch than I was on it. Route 66, <laughs> I was devastated when Route 66 uh, closed. Cairo's... Oh, yeah, but you imagine, you know, so I'm talking about, you know, you dream of playing football, but you get the rest of it as well. You're out, and you're having a great time with the girls and blah, blah, blah. And that's what it was. I loved that all the way along. My dad said to me at the end of my career, he said, wouldn't it be nice one day if you're on the back of the papers for actually scoring a goal instead of being on the front of the papers? (laughs) (laughs) And there you go.
0: He was best friends with George Best, so I imagine he 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 yes uh, yeah
3: exactly. I said to him, I said, I bet you had a few early nights as well, didn't you? (laughs) But he was, but that was my thing, and and football they don't do it now. But you know, like for example, after a game at the county ground, my uncle John and the lads were there. We'd be we'd be having a few pints after. You know, and it's not—it's changed football now. It's not like that. And I was—where we going tonight? We've to got to the Swiss Chalet for a couple straight after, live and then into the town, Long Long Bar, Long's Bar, all that. And we loved it. We was long, we was young, playing in the first team. You know, that's—I was all part and parcel of it. So, wouldn't change anything at all with that. I was single; wasn't a problem with it. And go and enjoy yourself. I don't think if you was—I don't think they could do it so much now because it's all the mobile phones and people vid videoing. But that was special. That's why I, I prefer playing my, in, in my era than what it is now. Because it yeah. was the whole thing. It was the it was the dressing room. It was the going out. It was the winning on the Saturday. You win a game on the Saturday, there is no better feeling. You know, you're poor. You've, come on, let's go. And that's it. And you want to go out and have a good time. And that's that's what that's what I did. Loads of it. Insisted on it. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, and, and I don't. I, I really.
0: There, there is this sort of approach from from certain fans across every football club where apparently if a footballer after a loss they have to go into a little room and then they get put in some sort of like incubator and they're not allowed to move until two o'clock the following week you know and <laughs> they're not allowed to do anything how dare you're not it's, it's almost like being grounded by parents you know you're not getting you're not getting put in. Look at the state of your room. You know, you, I told you to tidy your room, so you know, be gone. I don't want to see you before. It's 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 very it's a very odd sort of double standard. You know, um, if I have a rubbish day at work, I'm not going to sort of punish myself by not doing anything that evening. You know, it's it's you can you can be in a bad mood about your performance on the pitch Would and it- still be able to live.
3: Well, do you, do you know what? i tell you what, I tried once when things weren't going very well, which happens a lot for the footballer. You're not on highs all the time. It's the, it's the different emotion. You know, and there was times when, i tell you what, I won't have a drink. I won't bother going out. And do you know what? It was worse for me because it built up all the time. It built yeah. up in your mind. It built, you know, I used to go out of a bit of a laugh. It was forgotten about. Back in training on Monday, you know, and you're athletes at the time so it doesn't make any difference you're drinking because you sweat sweating out here the next day and that is what the way in which you, you, well, you used to have a lot of the players what used to do that that was that, their way of unwinding you know every footballer wants to go on a football pitch wants to be successful you know but it's not always the case it's sometimes it doesn't go right for you you know it's like when you look at a lot of these young players what come into a team look at Grealish, for example now as wonderful as what he is don't put too much pressure on him. He's learning his trade. He's learning. He'll make mistakes. He'll make, and this is the journey of a footballer. You know, this is what you have to. You, you come. You, you, you know, it's all all these different emotions. What you have. It's very rarely on a high all the way through. So you know, you're human, and this is what you do. You, you, you go and enjoy yourself. You, you work hard. You enjoy yourself as well. And and and, and why not? But they can't do that now. You know you can't do that these players now. You can't put all these mobile phones and that's where we could in, in, in our time. It was great. We used to go out when things didn't go right with John Gorman. I remember Sheffield United when they were when they were in the, when they were in, the, in the Premier League, they used to do well after Christmas. So what they used to do is they used to do because over the two seasons they did well over Christmas, is they used to have a Christmas dinner around about November early and think, well I'm gone come on we'll start doing well because they used to do well after christmas we tried the same thing you know we, we said well i'll tell you what let's do the same as them so we set a full christmas dinner up turkey and everything up in marlborough about november we're there with all the things blowing the things and oh, there we go right come on let's start the weekend i think we got beat again and we're trying everything superstitious trying all this type of stuff you know but we were going out you know we were going out and it was a team bonding we went to sunderland we were big on that. Everyone going out on a Tuesday, have a few drinks, bit of a laugh, have a, have a bit of an argument, have a bit of a scrap or whatever with, with, with your teammate. Off we go. We go back to work. That was the way in which it was that, you see. It was there. Now is, is a lot different.
0: Yeah. I would say, I always say of your generation, you transcend, sort of. you go, you ride the wave of old football and new modern football, I would say. And that must have been quite... You, that must have been noticeable at the time where you're going through the culture of what you know Arsenal could win leagues with a drinking school and a card yeah, school yeah. and all that, and then from the end of your career, where it is much more based on the science of football and and, and yeah, I possibly,
3: yeah, but I'd possibly say, I, I mean, it, from when I was around, it was all the drinking all the way through, you don't see it as much as what it has changed now, and in, in over the last 10 15 years, ours was still the drinking. Uh, mentality if anybody did change it and look different was when obviously Oddle came from uh from monaco you know he his his style of training uh all about his diet and everything was like ah, what what's he talking about and, you know that is he was well he was well ahead of of his time with some of the stuff what he what he was doing uh so that was possibly the biggest change apart from that i mean you look at the game now is so scientific so uh in depth with these players, and and I think you look at these players now, and they are more athletes. You look at them, you look at the definition, you look at everything. Probably a little bit different with us because our kits were different. The kits now are like the sprayed on, so you have to <laughs> you have to look well. Ours are all they're baggy and all that, and all you know. And it was it was just it was just different times. But we were fit. We were uh, you know we I think all the players were fit there, but it's just more. It's so much more depth now.
0: Much like many things, I'm gonna completely disregard the Nottingham Forest, the Leicester and the Bradford part of your career, which you know, I, I say with apologies because uh, time is against us, but you came back for one last haunt, which I loved. I was at university at the time um, and the news that Nicky Summerby was back. Oh, I was a happy guy that day. And then you, you, you play against Nottingham Forest. You play the majority of the game We win,
3: and then you disappear.
0: But what a what a what a lovely brief romance that was!
3: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, what happened then is I was I was a journeyman then. I was playing at all these different clubs, uh, and I just needed. I was still at the right age when I thought I could have done something. And what it was there is I'd missed out on because I hadn't had a club. Well, I was in and out of clubs. Is I hadn't had a preseason at all, so all of a sudden I get the telephone call. All all I was doing is keeping fit myself, which is, you know, if you don't do a preseason, you you're you're a million miles. You're always on catch up all throughout the season. So Andy King gave us give me a call and I said, look, how do you fancy coming down? I needed I needed three weeks or something of playing in as many reserve team games, everything to get myself to to to, to any type of fitness really. So I said, yeah, no problem. Next minute. I'm walking up, I'm going up to the ground, playing in a game against, against Notts Forest, thinking, i I'm got a minute, she's like, and everyone's great. I thought, this is a dream, this, I can't believe I'm going back to Swindon. If I can get myself fit, obviously won't play like I used to. I can do something here, I'm sure I can, you know. And uh, and I played in the game, just didn't know where I was really throughout the game, it was just, I hadn't played any games, nothing. But we won the game and I thought, brilliant, that's a start. Now it's the case, can they work me? Can they work me for a couple of weeks? I mean, really get me fit. So I said to I said to Andy King I said I can I play in the reserves on the Tuesday and I played in the reserves and I was just all over the place falling everywhere and I think the chairman at the time said look this isn't going to happen this, which I thought was so my dream was really cut short there, you know they must have thought no he's he's gone and for me asking to play in the in the reserves ended up being a bit of a, a stinker for me because I was just all over the place I couldn't. I couldn't get any of me uh, just all over the place, and you know, all of a sudden the chairman said, Look, you know, that's it, we'll cut it then. So, for me, thinking I was going to stay there, and I thought I was going to be in the, in the team the next week, so it just getting cut, and that little dream, what you're talking about, just evaporated massively and it didn't happen. So, you know, it's what it was. That's crazy, isn't it? That's that's crazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, what, I mean, what I'd have done, me, what I'd have done there is they knew it as well. I said I wasn't fit, you know, I've been running around the hills on my own, I don't play, I didn't do pre seasons in game surely if you said look we'll give him two three weeks and we will get him fit you know you get him in all the games you've gained whatever you've got to do just play him in whatever and just get him fit and let's have a look what we can get out of it but it wasn't he, he didn't see it at all so I was absolutely gutted then and that was the end of my career and The end of my career from the start of it to the end it was just a disaster just a journeyman just traveling around playing games here and there you know, and that, that was pretty much the end of it. That was a time when I thought, well, then I'll, I'll, I think I'm not going to play at Tamworth with Paul Merson. You know, and that was that, that was the end of it. But us, you know, that was uh, great memories at the start, but the end was it wasn't so pretty. Football
0: is this really ruthless industry where to become a professional footballer, you have to jump the hoofs, you have to grind, you have to work. It, it's it's relentless, and then you get to retirement age at such a young age in your life, that you have to go through it all again. You have to decide whether you want to stay in this game, or you have to retrain and, and do something else. And that's what a lot of people have to do. You, it's, you know, you, you finished at Townworth 15 years ago now. And you're still in the game. You're at a Pundit over in Qatar. What, what's been your journey like Post football, was there any aspirations to coach or was it all just media based? If indeed you were lucky enough to get jobs within the media,
3: no, well, yes, I had businesses, several businesses in Manchester. I had, I had a pub outside uh, the new stadium, uh, well, not the new stadium, the Etihad Stadium, uh, building company. And you, I went away from football a little bit bitter, really, just because it didn't, the last part of my career wasn't, it didn't go to plan. And you walk away from it and you get involved in these other other situations, selling cars and jewellery and all different bits. And you think, I don't know what I'm, what I'm doing it. You know, you have to stick with what you know. You have to stick with what you know. It's football, you know. So I struggle for a bit financially. And then eventually Lee Sharp, my friend, who's a player at Manchester United, said, so why don't you get involved in After Dinner Speaking? So I did that just taking the piss out of myself all the way through. I used to start off I used to start off by saying, I used to get the compare to say, look, please put your hands together for a legend, Manchester City legend, blah, 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 put your hands together. It's Mike Summerby. And I used to go, like, ah, no, it's Nick Summerby. And the guy used to say, who the fucking hell are you? And I used to go, welcome to my world. So straight away... <laughs> we're on the old, and then I used to finish it, oh, I had a cracker I used to finish it off with, I used to say to 1998, statistics are a big thing in football, everyone looks at them on the television, blah blah blah, I said so I'll take you back to 1998, successful passes made, player A, David Beckham, 75%, player B, Nick be 82% and everyone goes whoa woo, and all that, I say successful crosses made, that's when you cross a ball and someone scores, player A, David Beck- Beckham, 87%, Player B, Nick be 91%. And they all go, woo. So I say, as I bring it forward now, uh, Player A, David Beckham, probably worth about 500 million. Player B, Nixon would be not worth a fucking carrot. <laughs> 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 and that's it now. And I got my thing there. And then all of a sudden, I just started working on local. I moved to London, started working on a local channel there. And then I got offered a job in Qatar. And went, we took it straight away. It was me, Lee Sharp, a guy called Chris Making. It used to play at Sunderland mm-hmm. with me. Uh, Jim Magilton came out and we took a flight and we came out to Qatar, not knowing anything about it, 10 years ago. And we, we we are very proud to say it's our home here. You know, and we look forward and we, and it will be a fantastic show here. This will be, the, this will be, this will shock a lot of people when the World Cup comes in and we work on the local, local television and we work on being sports on the local television so we do like the local football which xavi is a manager over here now we have the likes of zico raul uh, schneider or and, and what it is even more than that it's about looking at all these qatari players coming through which you'll see in the in the world cup and it's a phenomenal place
0: which is which is the key thing, really? Here, because you're not doing like the I know it's it's not exactly the same, but you're not doing the keys and grey. Just doing the Premier League in a different country, you are getting stuck in with the with the local game, aren't you?
3: Absolutely, and there's a lot more goes into it. They've done so much for uh, for these for the Qatari players. They won the Asian Cup a couple of seasons ago, which is the, the, which is you think of all the teams in Asia, and they won it. And it's what goes into it. They have a place called Aspire here. If you get a chance to have a look at it. Uh, this is like this has two uh, this has two five-star hotels on it. This has a top sporting hospital, and this is for the for the players from Qatar. And they train them since they were six or seven years old, uh, and they play all the top games around the world against the top Barcelonas, Real Madrids. And this is This is what these players are, which you'll see in the World Cup. And obviously, you've got the infrastructure here, and you have all the the stadiums, which is second to none. And we're a part of it, you know, and I get my chance to talk about the Premier League now, which I thoroughly enjoy, you know, and obviously the local football as well. So I enjoy I enjoy it. I think it's I ju- I'm just myself. I try and be honest with all everything what's going on in football now with your VARs and all that, which I cannot stand. Uh, players dive in, all this type of stuff. And I'm just honest and I just say what, I, what I feels right. Football is all about opinions and i don't hold back with it really i just say what i feel and it's great that i can do that and all the ex players who i played with they're all around the world everywhere in america It's all over the all over the place and getting the opportunity because we played in the premier league you know the premier league is a global is a, is a, is, a, is a global thing now and this is where all the sex players now are all out and about and, and, and doing what we do talking and, and and getting the luxury to do that with something what we love football you know it's football is opinions you can't be right you can't be wrong but we get the chance to say our our opinion and, and try and put it out there.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, as we as we close now, I always sort of begin to finish off by just asking, like, when you you know sit at your home in Qatar and and you suddenly think of Swindon Town, what what are your lasting memories of, of life as a Swindon Town player?
3: Well, I look in, I, I look into the good times we had in and around the dressing room, all the crap we had. Even when you talk about that film where they followed us around on the journey to make it to the Premier League, that was all us messing about. Sean Close, Oggy, Adi Vivash, all the lads there, Tony uh, Amersley, all the lads there, Packer, uh, and then obviously making the journey and managed being fortunate to get into the first team and, and putting the kit on and, and going out of the tunnel. Uh, even in that boggy in the corner bit there when it was a bit boggy and you played on the left hand side there and you remember trying to get your crosses out obviously making the journey to the Premier League as well and everything about Swindon when I get when I get the opportunities to go there when I get to go anywhere near it it gives me those goose uh, goosebumps because of the good times what I have it's very fun you know, and I would not have been a prof- I wouldn't have been a professional footballer if I didn't get the opportunities and the grounding as well. As I said, from John Trollope and and uh, Eddie Butley. Without that, none of it happens. Hopefully, it gives you a picture of of my career, the good, the bad of it. Uh, what was it called as well? What was it called? Lind. Uh, we used to play on a Saturday, Linders Park. Linders Park. Lindyard Park. There, that's it. There, freezing cold. <laughs> There, but it all started off there and having stinkers, having nightmares, things not going well. And all of a sudden then, it, you know, it's it seen what it was at the end. Very fond memories of Swindon. You know, I'd do anything for Swindon and, and, and they're in my heart without a shadow of a doubt because of the memories, great memories there. You know, and we're, we're, we were lucky enough to make it to the Premier League. I mean, who'd have thought then from starting off at Swindon Road to all of a sudden make it in the Premier League and just, I mean, you can see Shriblen Road from when you take a corner on the right hand side there, we started off there to the next minute being out. We used to look, we used to look through a window at the back there and watch the reserve games, me and Fitzroy Simpson and the lads and watch games from there. That's your the way end there. It used to be. And all of a sudden you're out there playing in the Premier League. So it doesn't really get any better.
0: Lovely. And there was no rude stories in the end.
3: I can't say that. Married man now. Happily married man now. It could all go wrong at any point if I start coming out with my old stories.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, you guys, you all know what you can and you can't say. And, and, and I thank you can for Can I it. just
3: tell you, all my career was rude and naughty and all that type of stuff. But I can never say anything, do anything. It's all, that's where we have the laugh. That's where we have the, uh, that's where all the fun is, you see. Or oh, just, just, you're young lads, aren't you? And you're all, you're living the dream. You're footballers. You think you're big time Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> and you have it all, and you go out, and it's there for you in it, and you take it, don't you? So,
0: well, this has been an absolute privilege, and I've loved every second of it. It's exactly what I was hoping for. Nick, Nikki, Summerby,
3: thank you very much. <laughs> thank you very much.
0: The Low Strangers is a Swindon Town podcast, proudly sponsored. By the STFC Official Supporters Club. The music was created by the great Matthew Kilford, and the artwork was designed expertly by Matt in Singapore. Thanks for listening. Come on, Swindon! Come on, boys! It's a grand old team to play for, (laughs) and
1: it's a grand old team to see. (laughs) i yellow.
2: History. It's enough to make your heart go. Oh, we oh, oh, oh. hey, don't care what, what the Newcastle day? say, <laughs> What the hell do we care? Cause we only know that there's gonna be a show, and this wind and time will be